Welcome to the Persuasion Lab. This is Martin Maduras, and thank you so much for joining, and please subscribe to this podcast. We have over 500 downloads. I'd like to get to 1,000 by the end of September, so if you subscribe and enjoy and give me feedback on the topics you want to hear, I'd be happy to do that. So you can just email me at martin at negotiationstrategist.com. Today, we're going to talk about a seminal book called Getting to Yes that was the darling of the 1980s and following decades, and it started the Harvard Project on Negotiation. And the question I'm going to answer today is, is the book Getting to Yes still relevant? And when we think of getting to yes, we think of a few concepts that have made it into our general lexicon. Uh, One is being hard on the problem, not the people. There's another acronym used, a tortured acronym at that, called a BATNA, a Best Alternative to Negotiated Agreement. And what this is, is basically your walk away, your Fisher Cup bait point. But... This book is important in that it's a very basic book. I encourage you to read it. Uh, It was written by Roger Fisher and William Uri, uh, edited by Bruce Patton around 1981, I think. Uh, So this book spawned many authors to take one issue out of the book and develop it. For example, brainstorming to break an impasse in a negotiation. And we'll talk about the... um, concepts, the uh, good parts, the bad parts about their approach. But the book is important because before getting to yes, negotiation was seen as an art form only by people who had some almost magical talent to get the deal done. And you saw a lot of the press and a lot of the books had this aura of how to haggle to special skill that only a few have. And some made it almost into a religious uh, type of thing. There's a book called The Tao of Negotiation, and there's all these different uh, thought leaders had different approaches. And some, of course, reduced it to a science. And some went for a mixture. There was a book called The Art and Science of Negotiation. Uh, Certainly, it can be all these things. Well, I'm not too sure about the the magic but um it certainly is a science uh, i myself uh, negotiation strategist research my company uses uh, game theory statistics on how to portray objective evidence to advocate better whether it's an m&a deal buying a company selling a company or if you're in litigation what are your chances at winning this cause of action what are the likely damages what are the likelihood the plaintiff or the defendant will prevail these are all things we can look at basic game theory analysis on uh, probabilities, payoffs, the people involved, the uh, possibilities of outcomes. But what Getting TS did, the gift it offered into negotiation science, of course, is it offered a system. It said, no, here's how people behave. And if you can figure that out, there are a few things you can do. And we're going to address the problems with people. 
And that's one of my criticisms of the book. It deals with the problems people have, not problematic people. And in my business, private practice of law, I've been doing it for 25 years, uh, there are problematic people, people who do not act like the assumption of getting TS, which is people act rationally. And contemporary researchers like uh, Nobel laureate Richard Thaler, uh, I think he got the Nobel Prize in uh, 2017 for social economics. He, his models anticipate irrational behavior when people don't act within their best interests, which all the persuasion in the world is not going to tell someone that they're making a mistake if it's across the table. There are some processes that have to happen if you want to persuade people who are actually acting against their best interests. So at the end of the day, GTA's order and structure approach uh, may lack things because it doesn't get over, lack things that people think about in negotiation, which is the anxiety they go get over. And more contemporary models do deal with dealing with anxiety, dealing with uh, this concept of the irrational actor. So here's the basics of yes, I said it earlier, you have to be hard on the problem and soft on the people. And this takes off the table some tactics used ad hominem tactics, tactics at the person who undermines someone's authority, experience, or something at the table to intimidate them to get a better deal or to agree to something uh, by uh, personal attacks. And we saw this in spades. <laughs> um, in the 2016 presidential election of uh, the United States of America, and again in the 2020 when uh, each party, you saw them rip each other apart, and many of the attacks were very personal and very unfair, and this takes people off their guard. They do not know what to do. When you're in a formal, quasi-academic political debate, what do you do if there's a street fighter from Queens? Uh, what do you do if there's someone who has a very low standard of civility? Well, getting TS is not going to help you. So nobody really knows how to switch these dynamics before getting TS. During getting TS, we said, okay, here's the gaps, and then certainly contemporary negotiation studies can address these types of behavior and help people perform better at the table. So the book, as a quick summary, uh, begins with this concept of check your own perceptions, this idea of self-awareness and awareness of the other, other side. Walk a mile in there own shoes, perceiving you, how do you come off? And this is contemporarily known as empathic negotiation. Uh, I teach a course with Dr. Hoffman on empathic negotiation, which is, well, how do we do that? How do you really recognize legitimate emotions and other things in an agreement? And that's something that's flagged in getting TS. They don't develop it to the extent it is in contemporary negotiation science. So, when you check your own possession, uh, uh, perceptions, this is a, a self-awareness exercise. 
Uh, and when you think about it, let me give you an example. If I'm an employer and I want someone to sign a non-compete agreement, why won't they sign it? If this is a great talent and this is repugnant to them, what's their anxiety? And of course their anxiety is lack of full-time employment. They're gambling that my company is going to stand the test of time. They're going to grow into a huge oak tree of a company uh, based on my hire and things will be great. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what if they're not viable? What if the economic situation changes? What if there's a pandemic? Why would I sign a non-compete and limit my potential job prospects going forward if things don't work out here? That's the anxiety you have to address. How do you do it? It's about income loss. How do you get over it? Well, in Europe, if you want a non-compete, you have to basically pay the person for the duration of the non-compete. If it's a two-year non-compete, you have to pay them two years' salary. Uh, in the States, it's a little bit more liberal, but it's getting close to the European model. Certainly, legislation in California has been there for years, especially for lower-level employees. Uh, for uh, Oregon, Washington, a number of other states, they have ramped up their non-enforceability of non-competes to address this anxiety. And that's a legal solution, but a negotiated solution would be some type of severance, some type of runway where the person can get on to a, another job should things not work out. But you don't want them to compete directly with you, and certainly they would still have the standard agreements to protect trade secrets like non-competes. So the issue I'm getting at is you have to address the anxiety, um, not something covered deeply in getting TS. Uh, they talk about communicating clearly. This is kind of a no-brainer uh, in getting TS. Uh, they focus on interests, not positions. This is another point they make. And this is uh, something where you have to dig, and this is important. Getting to yes talks about the concept of people will have positions and sit on a position, and you have to get beyond that and to figure out what they're trying to protect. If you're trying, in the case, if I'm trying to protect loss of potential income, tying my hands without income, that's the interest. It's not, you know, you must sign a non compete or I will not sign a non compete. If I can. Get that key employee to say, okay, what's your concern? If it's income loss or income, uh, non-mobility in the workplace, then let's address that somehow. The severance would be a position that you would offer to get over that anxiety. And that's what they mean about getting beyond the position of, I'm not going to sign, into the interest. What's my anxiety? Loss of income. That's what it means. Also, this is when there's a policy. We can't do that. It's not our policy. Figure out what the policy is there. And if you can get to why the policy is there, for example, if it's a security issue and you can say, well, I am sworn to not tell secrets because I have a Department of Defense security clearance, that should mitigate the concerns you have that I'm going to take your corporate secrets and uh, get them away, for example, if it's a uh, confidential information disclosure situation. So those are some interests. Um, 
to break impasses, and this is more a topic of the book Getting Past No with the follow-up, um, it, it talks about probing interest to get past impasses. When people can't agree to an impasse, you have to look at interest and you have to have some type of information exchange, information exchange which is predicated on trust. Next, part of the getting to yes process, which is pretty typical uh, of people who understand getting to yes, and they use this a lot, and that's brainstorming. How do we solve a problem where we figure out how to solve the needs of both parties? Well, we come up with creative solutions. We have a brainstorming session, um, which I always thought was not good because uh, I uh, am a judge <laughs> at the American Bar Association's negotiation competition. Uh, I've done it for many years. And the students there will do backflips on trying to come up with creative solutions that are totally um, not viable in the real world because this getting to yes method is what they teach in the, a lot of law schools, which is creative solution. Creative solutions are great, but they have to be within reason. They need some bound. And this dynamic for mutual gain is great and Getting to yes talks about two things that's required to make any solution viable. And one is it has to be forged using objective criteria. And fair examples are given in the solution when we're not in an emotional state, when we're in an objective state, a non-subjective state. And then the standards upon which that mutual gain solution in this brainstorming process comes out has to be uh, pursuant to fair procedures. In other words, everyone has to have their say. Everyone's mutual gain has got to be real, quantifiable, objective. And finally, getting to yes gets into some tactics uh, that almost don't belong in the book as they're more at the moment, which the, the overall tone of book is very strategic. It's not tactical. It's almost best left for, for a different book. Um, so those are some of the things that Getting TS does. So one of the, the key concepts is this idea of the BATNA and the best alternative to negotiated agreement. And this has to do with if there's very acrimonious um dynamics in a negotiation it's better for people to go their separate ways because bad deals generally are more like milk and less like wine they do not age well and this is very important because if you have an impasse if you're not going to agree getting to yes doesn't talk about what if you have to you have to get some type of agreement you know the walk away uh, in those cases for example if it's a divorce situation people are trying to act, um, uh, split up a man uh, a marriage and they're trying to do it themselves uh, file when it turns acrimonious and people get very emotional it's not going to work you're going to have to bring in intermediaries you're going to have to hire lawyers you're going to have to have a mediator or a judge or arbitrator come in and help those parties out because when emotions run high you're not gonna be able to just walk away 
from certain transactions and that's when you need an intermediary you know mediator arbitrator lawyers judges uh, these people may be um, critical they cannot be uh, business partners friends and spouses uh, of friends and those are interested parties and they're probably conflicted out so if the parties won't play then you have to emphasize that we want to conduct a principled negotiation which is one of the buzzwords of getting to yes when you have these certain principles um, you can overcome things and it does talk about these street fighters are dirty tricks um, regrettably and call me a cynic this is normal human behavior if seeking an advantage is a dirty trick you've got to work that in to your method because people do try stuff so you can appease you can acquiesce or you can reply by dirty tricks so calling out and recognizing the trick is being played so you can ignore it is important and drawing attention to the trick being played is important and conduct the negotiation about the substance of the negotiation not about the trick you want to shift the focus that's a um, important point that I think getting to yes um, could emphasize more in in the book so one thing I find very difficult in the book is this concept of win-win which has been used countless times in my career not as a let's make a mutually beneficial agreement it's awesome when that happens uh, it's used as psychological war warfare if someone doesn't get their way they question hey this isn't a win-win because I didn't win well guess what everybody doesn't always get a trophy they do now but they used to not but the issue is they use this example again TS of the orange two parties negotiating over an orange one party wants the rind the other wants the fruit but they don't know until they do this brainstorming activity and the one party wants the zest for uh, a cake the other wants the fruit for juice or something so once they get to that everyone gets what they want it's a win-win well in my world most of the time people want the whole orange themselves and the issue is is there something else to the deal is there something extraneous that you aren't seeing or is their focus all wrong maybe there are many oranges on the tree and you're just fighting over one that fell into your hands and those are some of the issues that getting TS and a has this basis uh, that this win-win has become a moniker of a lot of table negotiations which is awesome when it happens it is not a strategy win-win is a great name for a panda it is not a good name for a negotiation strategy so that's one of my um, criticisms of the book so is getting to yes relevant I started this uh, asking the question and I think yes it is it's very relevant it belongs on your desk uh, you should read it uh, so too you should read authors who have published things after getting to yes for example uh, 
Dr. Cialdini, his book Influence, and his most recent book in 2016 is called uh, Pre-Suasion. Uh, you definitely want to read some uh, Richard Thaler. Uh, I like Paul Ekman. Uh, certainly Voss, uh, Never Split the Difference. Um, the Like Switch, uh, Dr. Schaefer. Uh, what Everybody is Saying, Navarro. These are people who, and those who know me and those who've gone through the class know I have the, the reading list. My online class, which is Negotiate Like a Boss by Being Yourself. If you've gone through the class, you know that these are kind of the iconic um, books and methods in contemporary negotiation science that you should read. If you are good at math, I would suggest you look at von Neumann and also, um, uh, of course, uh, Nash. And there's a great uh, Game Theory 101 course on YouTube. If you like that, he has a book as well. And I actually uh, enjoy that. And there's a lot of other books on Game Theory that is in my reading list. So there you have it. Yes, getting to yes is still re uh, is still relevant. No, it does not address two principal things: irrational negotiation behavior, and two, a lot of the contemporary behavioral science that's coming out. And three, it is not a statistical approach, which can be very compelling. Uh, I.e., uh, mathematical approaches can help you determine favorable outcomes. And that's today's podcast thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing email me martin at negotiationstrategist.com if you want to subscribe to my newsletter comes out try to do it weekly a lot of good reading there a lot of good tips on how to be more effective because if you've read my book such as 161 negotiation tactics you know i stand for the proposition that negotiation persuasion and influence is how we communicate our needs to the world and how effective we are at communicating those needs determines if in fact our needs are getting met. This is Martin Medeiros. Thank you for joining me in the Persuasion Lab.